Well, if you all have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 10. We're going to look at uh, verse 5 and following tonight. Let me read those verses. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. Now tonight the key word is instructing. Jesus sent them out after instructing them, saying, Do not go the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter into the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, you remember now, for the last uh, month and a half, I guess, we have been looking at the disciples that Jesus called. He, you know, walked up to them and said, come and follow me, and they did. Uh, everyone that uh, he called followed. Uh, the chapter here, chapter 10, is divided into three parts. And verses 5 through 15 deal with the basic task of ministry. And we're going to talk about that uh, tonight. Uh, the apostles were the original missionaries. Have you ever thought about that? They were the first missionaries that ever were. Uh, Jesus sent them out in our text tonight, and he sends them out two by two uh, to go out and to witness and to do this work that they had never done before. They were fishermen, for heaven's sakes. They were tax collectors. They were zealots. Uh, they were not evangelists. They were not missionaries. But uh, that is what they became. He trained them and sent them forth to preach the gospel under uh, God's judgment. A world that uh, had fallen as our world has fallen. We have more wacko groups starting up around the world. Uh, you know, this ISIS thing, six months ago, none of us had ever heard of them. And now there's another group that has uh, started, and they're trying to be uh, worse than the other group. Uh, we have all kinds of crazies that are gathering together, and they're all trying to kill us. You know, if they could, they'd be killing us. And that's the goal. That's what uh, their mission statement's all about. Well, Jesus sent these people out. A harvest that was plentiful, but the workers were few. Guess what? That's still the same situation today. The harvest, there are millions and millions and hundreds of millions of people that are lost, but the workers are few. And we need to send some more out. We need to have some more people that are doing the will and the work of God uh, all over the place. Now, one of the dramatic things that is happening is that America is becoming a major mission field. All of these groups have thousands and thousands, if not millions, of people here. There's over, uh, I don't know the latest number, but I think there's over a million, uh, maybe it's two million, Muslims in America. Uh, there's a whole lot of them that are here, and of course they're all lost. Uh, so we want to uh, think about the ministry that we can have here as well. The instruction that Jesus gave the apostles at the time was for just a short mission trip, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, a very, very short thing. He, he sent them out, told them what to do, and then they came back, and he basically said, well, how'd it go? And they told him what happened, and he, you know, counseled them and trained them, instructed them uh, on how to do what he had called them to do. Uh, 
the basic concepts apply to every believer the Lord sends out for ministry. We're under the same commission, really, that they were. We're to win the world uh, to Christ. Some of the specifics are restricted to a specific time and a specific uh, group of people, but we still have the basic principles uh, that are broad and that are universal, and we're supposed to do the job. Uh, Those whom Christ sends out cannot minister faithfully and effectively for him if they don't follow the principles that he gave them. Jesus told them how to do it. And as we study the word, we learn how to do it. Uh, Do you remember the first person that you led to Christ? Do you remember who that was? Um, I led a, a, I think he was eight years old, a boy named Landy Davis that was eight years old. Led him to the Lord. And as it would be, years and years later, he moved to Dallas where I was serving in a church and he was single and he joined our single adult group and uh, had become really a fine young man. And uh, it was a joy for me to think back to the time way before that, uh, 10 years before that, uh, when he was just a kid and uh, he had grown in the Lord. Well, Jesus' purpose for his apostolic mission, this is the first one, was twofold. One, they were supposed to go out and lead people to Jesus. That was the main basic uh, uh, mission that they had. And then secondly, they were to be trained. They were to be refortified for uh, the work that they were going to be doing. You know, if you're going to do anything that you never have done before, you need some training. Uh it, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, we have these little plastic uh, containers that food comes in, and I never can open those things. And uh, so I asked Cindy. Cindy knows how to do everything in the kitchen. I said, Cindy, how do you open those things? And she said, well, you hold it against you, and then you press in the bottom and pull the top. I did that, popped right off. I just needed to be trained. You know, that's the way it is with all of us. We all need to be trained to do all these different things that, uh, uh, you know, we need to know how to do. Well, in Matthew 10, 5 through 15, Jesus articulates uh, eight principles. Now, we're going to deal with the first two tonight. Um, These are general requirements for effective ministry. Um, The first one is a divine commission. We want to look at that first. Uh, Look at uh, verse 5, the first part of verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. He instructed them. He taught them. He showed them how to do uh, what they needed to do, what they were going to do out on the uh, mission field. Uh, From Mark's uh, parallel passage, we learn that Jesus sent them out in twos. He didn't send them out one at a time. You know, it's a lot better, really, to uh, visit with with two people, Um, particularly if you're going to be on kind of a mission work where you're gone perhaps overnight, something like that. Um, Loneliness is a fertile ground for temptation. You know that. 
It's a fertile ground for weakness. By going out with companions, you're less prone to be discouraged. You're less prone to be depressed. You're less prone to get into self-pity. They could encourage one another, hold each other accountable, and take turns uh, ministering. I remember I was in East Texas uh, probably 40 years ago leading a revival. And uh, I took this guy visiting with me in the church there. We went out, and I was uh, talking to this guy about becoming a Christian. And all of a sudden, this fellow interrupted me, and he started talking about some weirdo eschatological thing. And I said, dear brother, let's hold that till a little later. And I just, you know, went right ahead. And he broke in again. And I said, dear brother, let's hold that till a little later. And so I... I led this uh, guy to the Lord. We got down on our knees and prayed. And uh, going out of the car, I said, uh, have you done a lot of witnessing? He said, yeah, I've done a lot. And I said, well, you know, the basic thing that we want to do is tell people that they're lost. We want to convince them that they're lost. And then we want to tell them how to be saved. And then we want to point them to Jesus. And then we want to ask for a commitment. That's what we want to do. We don't want to teach them about eschatological events. That is not what we want to do. I tried to say that as nicely as I could. I don't think he got it, to tell you the truth. Well, uh, you know, I don't know if you have somebody that you pray with. Uh, I don't know if you have somebody that you visit with, but that might be a thing that we could do here in our church is kind of pair up with uh, somebody that, uh, you know, you could kind of help each other and lead each other to become a more powerful, more effective witness uh, for the Lord. Um, I really enjoy visiting. Uh, If I, my perfect job would be to visit all day and preach on Sundays. That would be my perfect uh, job. That's what I'd like to do. Uh, In my last church, I spent 40% of my time, 40% of my time, straightening out staff issues. We had a huge staff, and and I, I had to go in and settle the waters on all the arguments and all the fussing back and forth between staff between secretaries. The secretaries would get mad at each other. And they'd have a big fight about it. And then I'd have to go and sit down with them and, and talk to them about it. Now, let's see, how are we honoring Jesus in this? And, uh, you know, talk to them for a while. Well, we need, to, we need to get into godly patterns. That's what Jesus is doing with the disciples here. He's showing them how to do godly patterns. You want to start out by praying. You know, before you go out to witness to somebody, you want to pray. You want to get your heart right with the Lord. You want to get right in lockstep with him. When you go in, you want to uh, talk to them a little bit about themselves, find out a little bit about them, find out a little about their history. 
uh, find out a little about their spiritual history. I always do it this way. I always say, have you ever been to a Baptist church before? And a lot of people say, no, never have. It's the first time. And I always say, well, is, is, is it as weird as you thought it was going to be? They always laugh when I say that. You know, I've had a lot of people over these 51 years that I've met them and they said, you know, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. You know, somehow or another, uh, the folks that are on the left end, on the liberal end of theology, they always put us down because they don't like the gospel that we preach. They don't like it that we quote scripture, that we study scripture, that we preach scripture, that we believe scripture. They don't like that. They don't do it that way, and so they ridicule us for doing it that way. Well, you know, if that's all you've heard is ridicule all your life, and then you go visit a Baptist church, you're expecting it to be terrible. And uh, people are very surprised when they come. Now, that service that we had this morning, that was a great service. It really, in every way, uh, Jim had great music. The everything was good. Great solo. We had great this, great that. Had a great spirit uh, in the service. I could tell that the spirit of God was in this place. Couldn't you? I mean, it was just that kind of a thing. You know, the spirit of God was here, and uh, I was so thrilled when those two families came forward and and joined. I have never understood why people don't join. I just, I cannot understand that. It, we don't take blood when you do it. We don't, we don't rob you. We don't take all the money out of your wallet. We don't do any of those bad things. You know, I just, I cannot understand. It doesn't make sense. You know, we want people to get on a ministering team. We want people to take a job in the church. And we want people to become active in the work that Christ has for us. Well, um, this was the first time in the kingdom that anybody had witnessed other than Jesus. Do you realize that? When these apostles went out, that was the first time that anybody other than Christ. Now, John the Baptist, you know, had a message, but uh, it was a, a message of judgment, really. And... When he sends them out, uh, this, is the, this is it. He sends them out on the first assignment on his behalf. You know, first Jesus said, follow me. And these guys got up and followed him. And then he trains them, trains them, trains them. And then he said, okay, go out. It's follow me, then go out. And that's what he did. The criteria can help a believer decide whether or not uh, he's called into the Lord's service. And you've got to know that criteria. The first criteria is a strong desire. If you don't want to do something, you shouldn't be doing it. You know, I can tell you right now, and I don't have any way to back this up, but I know it's true. There are tens of thousands of people that go into the ministry that shouldn't. You know why they do it? Because their daddy or their mama wanted them to. They had no call from God, but the mother or grandmother or somebody said, now you know your granddad was a pastor, and your dad was a pastor, and Uncle Harvey is a pastor, and we expect you to follow the Lord's leadership in your life. 
Well, guess what? You know, they end up going to school and going to seminary. I, I had a lot of conversations on the stairwell in the men's dorm where I talked to guys, and they said, you know, I don't really know why I'm here. My family got me here, and I don't want to be here. And, uh, you know, I would talk to him. One guy was there because he wanted to get out of the draft. I remember that. Well, uh, the, clo- the closer we walk to the Lord, the more certain we can be sure that our desires are matching with his desires. A second criteria is the confirmation of the church. Now, if the church doesn't con- you know, confirm what you're doing you, you in ministry, you shouldn't do it. You know, God has called in every church there some, to be some folks that are wise in the ways of the Lord. And uh, some people, you know, feel like they're just really, really gifted to do that. And the church doesn't support that, so they go somewhere else. They go somewhere where nobody knows them. And, of course, you know, if you go into a church and there nobody knows you, they'll, they'll confirm what you want to do because they don't know any better. Um, that's a very important part. That's what we're talking about in this passage. You have to have a confirmation of the church. Uh, if they don't have the encouragement, the support of godly believers that know him well, he should reevaluate uh, what he's doing. The Lord uses other believers uh, to, to make God's will clear for you. The qualifications for church leaders as you know, is in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. Uh, That's for pastors and for uh, deacons and for folks that really want to be major church leaders. Well, a third criteria for determining God's call is that of opportunity. Some people want to be trained. When I went to seminary, there were people that had never done one, had never had one job in a church anywhere, and they wanted more training. And they kept getting more and more training, and more and more training, more and more training. And every once in a while, I would ask one of them, I'd say, Well, when are you going to do it? You know, you've been training now for 20 years. When are you going to do it? When are you going to take the first step? When are you going to do it? Uh, and, of course, they didn't like that. Well, the 12 that were called and sent out by the direct spoken command of Jesus, they had the opportunity. He called them. He sent them. Uh, he instructed them. Uh, that word instructed is a very important word. Uh, synonyms of that are used throughout the New Testament. A soldier was bound to obey the orders of his superiors, the orders, the instruction. A person involved in legal matters is bound by the court's orders, by the instruction. A person of integrity is bound by moral principles, moral instruction. A patient's bound to follow the doctor's orders. If he wants to get well, the orders are the instructions. Successful writer, speaker is bound to the standards of his profession. The standards are the instructions that you get. This word is used 30 times in the New Testament. 
It's always talking about building somebody up, training somebody, helping somebody. Jesus used it to direct a leper. He used it to command out an evil spirit. It's used time and time again in the New Testament. When one realizes his calling is of the Lord, he has no choice uh, but to go ahead and respond. Uh, just as a soldier would respond if the general says, Go, uh, you go. You don't stand there and him haul around about it. Uh, you go. You, you get the standards, you get the orders, and your responsibility is what? Is to obey. It's to obey. God does not require creativity or innovation in his ministers. You know, today in the church world, there are a lot of people that are very innovative. And they're very dramatic. And they're very this and very that. And a lot of them are very loud. Uh, you know, they, they have all these different criteria. That, that's really not the model that's here in Scripture. Uh, Jesus didn't ask any of them to be uh, have a lot of creativity or innovation. What did he require? He required obedience and faithfulness. That's what he required. Obedience and faithfulness. And that's what we need to give. Those are the qualities that the Lord is looking for in our lives. Obedience and faithfulness. The minister is not a chef, but a waiter. He's not called to prepare the meal. God's already done that. His call is to serve the meal, to go out there and serve it, to give it where it's needed. In general, every believer is commissioned by the Lord, is bound to obey his call to go to present himself to the world. Now, not every believer, obviously, is supposed to be a pastor or a missionary or a teacher or whatever. Uh, every believer is called, though, to be a witness for Christ in the world. You know, these two ladies that joined our church last week, they come out of a Muslim background, and they both have become Christians. And they were going for a uh, wedding. And the family now has all gotten word that they have become Christians. And I want you to pray for both of them because there's no telling what's going to happen. Uh, I told them I was worried about it, and they said, oh, it'll be all right. We know all of them. Everything will be fine. You know, sometimes there's a thing called honor killing where they just kill you. They just murder you. If you get out of the conformity of uh, going with what the Muslims think. The first and most essential element for ministry is the understanding that you are called, that you are gifted, that you are empowered by the Lord to do his work. Now there is, the second thing tonight is a, a central objective. What are you trying to do? It's amazing to me, and I, I read books uh, about various things all the time, and one of the things I read is about salesmen. I like to read about salesmen. Uh, you know, a lot of salesmen aren't very good at it, and they never ask for the sale. They never say, would you buy this? They never get around to doing that. 
You know, if I'm going to go out and sit in somebody's home, I am not just going to comment on their oriental furniture. I'm going to ask them if they have ever trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what we're out there for. We're to ask for the sale. We're to push to the logical conclusion of why we're there. We're trying to be a witness in the world. We're trying to lead people to Christ. That's what we're about. That's what we do as followers of him. We're not there to be furniture critics. Well, the central objective, uh, if we're going to be effective in ministry and any work, we must have uh, a, a central objective. The ministry that is not focused is a ministry that is doomed to mediocrity. It's not, it's not going to excel. God gives different objectives to different people. He never asks somebody to do uh, everything in his sight. You know, when you're called to ministry, you are not called to take every job in the church. What happens to a lot of people is that they come to the church and they want to be active in the church. And so everything that anybody asks them to do, they say, okay, I'll do it. And so they get 15 jobs. And about a year later, all of a sudden, they don't come back. They are totally burned out. And it's because we haven't monitored that well. You know, nobody ought to have more than two jobs in the church. Really, now think about it. If you're going to do two jobs really well, you, you want to have two jobs. That's it. You know, if you have five jobs, you're, you're going to get messed up, and you're going to burn, burn out. Well, it, it's very important. Uh, the Lord never asks a person to do everything in sight. He is a loving, he is a reasonable God. When we find ourselves frustrated and overworked, we're probably trying to do more than he called us to do. He didn't call us to do 15 things. He, called us, he calls us to do a few things. In spite of the great personal effort required in faithful spiritual service, when the yoke and the load are truly the Lord's, he assures us that they will be light and easy. Each one of us needs to ask ourselves, what, what is it that God has asked me to do? You know, how are you gifted? That's really the way you tell. How are you gifted? What jobs in the church go along with how you're gifted? That's very important. Um, how can I build up the body of Christ? Everybody's here tonight. We need to have that as a model. How can I build up the bottle, the body of Christ? How can I help to build up my Sunday school class? We had 123 in church last Sunday, Sunday school, and we had 132 this morning. I'm hoping that this year we hit 200 in Sunday school. We can do that if we work at it, if we try real hard, if we invite everybody that we know to come. We have great teachers. We have great training. Uh, you know, a lot of the things, 
I know it's going to be hard this year because we're going to be packed. We're going to have two classes out in the big room back there, and that's not going to be good. But praise God, it's going to be the last year it's going to be like that because the next year we're going to have a building sitting out there, and we're going to have a lot of rooms where a lot of different people can study the Word of God unhindered by the voice that is 30 feet away that's talking in a completely different way. We're going to fix that. Well, the apostles were not to go any way or to any area uh, belonging to the Gentiles or any uh, area belonging to the Samaritans. In other words, they were not to go to anybody that uh, wasn't Jewish. That's who they were supposed to go to. The redemption of the whole world has always been in God's plan, but you start out uh, by doing it a certain way, by talking to your friends, people that you know, people that know you, people that trust you, people that love you. Start out with them. Don't go to the toughest nut in town. You know, go to the easiest person that you feel like you could really uh, witness to for the Lord. From the beginning, Israel was not called simply to receive but also to be a channel of God's blessing to the whole world. And they have been, of course. Jesus was a Jew. All these guys were Jews. I mean, they wrote the Bible. Uh, You know, the whole thing came from them. The covenant people were to be a witnessing people to the rest of the world. That is, the Gentiles. You know, the the non-Jewish. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They were hated by the Jews because they were half-breeds. They weren't uh, true Jews. They weren't true Gentiles. They had intermarried. Jesus always showed kindness to the Samaritans. You remember the woman from Sychar? You remember the, the story of the Good Samaritan? I mean, that kind of talk was just unheard of. Everybody hated the Samaritan. And here Jesus tells this story of a Samaritan that showed more compassion than anybody. He was trying to set the stage right for what was to come. There are three reasons that people choose to restrict the apostles' ministry uh, at this time to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. First was the Jews' special place in God's plan. They were God's chosen people, the people of the covenant, the people of the promises, the people of the law. John the Baptist preached primarily to the Jews saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus began his own ministry with the declaration uh, to the same people, really. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, when he went to a new town, you know where he went first? The synagogue. He always started, if possible, speaking to the Jews. The Jews were to hear the gospel first. And all of them went to the Jews first. Had the apostles gone to the Samaritans or to the Gentiles, uh, they would not have had great success in ministry. Uh, That came later. Well, second, uh, Jesus sent the apostles to preach first to the Jews because they were barely up to the task of effectively witnessing to their own people, much less witnessing to the Gentiles in the Samaritans, whose cultures and ways they didn't understand at all. They'd never been around them. They hated them. They didn't know anything about what they thought, their frame of reference. They didn't know what that was. For those of you that have never shared your faith 
Uh, don't pick the hardest person in the world. Uh, pick a, an easy person, you know, that you know, that you've been around for years. Maybe your barber, your beautician, your, you know, a friend, somebody that you know, but somebody that you know is not trusted in Christ. Third, Jesus probably restricted the apostles' first ministry to the Jews for the practical reason that they needed a special point of attack, a limited and familiar field, which they could concentrate their beginning efforts. And this is what they did. An unfocused ministry is a shallow ministry. It doesn't do well. You've got to have a central objective. And then later on, of course, you can change the objective. But you want to get the first thing done right. Someone that you have a lot in common with, someone that plays on your softball team. Bill Milliken did such a great, great job with guys here in town that uh, played on the soft, played softball. He, Bill, do you know how many of those you led to the Lord? I think that was just fantastic, uh, the ministry that you had. I went and played volleyball one day with Shan. And I was so bad, I quit after the first day. That's the last time I'm going to go and play uh, volleyball. Well, <clears throat> somebody that knows you well is waiting on you to come to their house, waiting on you to come into their house and talk to them about the Lord. And I hope you'll do it. Maybe this week you can do something that you've never done before in your life. You can lead somebody to a saving faith in Christ. Well, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here tonight, you've never trusted in the Lord. For whatever reason, you've never joined the church. This would be a great opportunity, a great night, to come and take a stand for him who died for you. I'll be standing down here at the front. If the Lord leads, you just slip out, slip forward. Don't be bashful. Uh, don't worry about it. Just trust in the Lord. Take the first step. He'll go with you every step after that. You've got to take the step of faith. And then he'll guide you the rest of the way. Let's stand as we sing.